Gary V actually tweeted the other day, like, who's your favorite, like, online, like, couple? And a few people said us. So. I would have, that would have been my answer for sure. Thank you. You can still reply. <laughs> Gary V's checking it. He um, does. I mean, he's always on his phone. Yeah, I'm not sure that's progress. I'm always on my phone. Nah, so am I. Everybody, welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding humanity and insight in modern marketing. Today, I am so thrilled to have Carrie Flynn, platforms reporter at Digiday, join us. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I feel like I stalked you a little on Twitter for this. I hope that's a good thing. I tweet a lot. <laughs> I just learned the other day that someone has mobile notifications for me on Twitter, and it was really overwhelming because I was like, oh my gosh, I tweet so much. That's a lot to handle. Yeah, I do not, but I do follow you and your boyfriend, Mike, who used to work for me. So tell us a little bit about your role and sort of how you, I'm always interested in people's stories. So what is the story of Carrie as reporter? I guess I wanted to be a reporter since I was pretty young. Um, Actually, one of my friends in middle school kind of expressed her interest in journalism. And so we thought about starting a paper together back then. It never happened, but we both joined the newspaper in high school. And I think as it went on, like I just got like way more passionate than I imagined I would be. Ended up being the editor-in-chief of that paper and then went on to college when my college application said, all I want to do is be a reporter. And then, yeah, I, I did my college newspaper. And when people were like, what do you want to do after college? I was like, I want to be in journalism. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now, to be fair, it was not just any college newspaper. Yes, I did. <laughs> to, to drop the bomb, uh, I did go to Harvard and I worked on the Harvard Crimson, yeah. which is a lot of people ask, they're like, oh, did you study journalism in college? And I'm like, no, my school didn't have journalism. And they're like, oh, where did you go? And I'm like, Harvard. Like, I've had that conversation sure. so many times. And it's true that Harvard doesn't have a journalism major, but to go they have back, the Crimson they instead. have the Crimson. <laughs> and yeah, so I kind of got like, quote unquote, real world journalism experience there. I always like say, so I actually was the city reporter there. So I covered Cambridge, Massachusetts. Like I, I didn't write about advertising or anything. No. Um, Stolen I wrote about, bikes? Yeah, I wrote, yeah, I wrote about <laughs> bike sharing. It was really popular when I was in college. Okay. Um, obviously, it's only gotten more popular. So yeah, I wrote about those issues. And the Crimson was the only daily newspaper of Cambridge, Massachusetts, which I find I'm really passionate about because Cambridge is one of the richest like cities in America. So how did you enter sort of the technology marketing media space? So I've always loved my phone. And still do. And, and still do. And so my first internship out of college, because I kind of f- fell that path, I didn't have an immediate job offer. I did an internship at Forbes. And I went in and I told my boss that I wanted to write about energy because I studied environmental politics in okay. college because you only go to college once. And I thought climate change is a big issue, and it still is. I hear it's so, making a comeback. Yeah, I don't write about that right now. But when I was a like bright-eyed 21-year-old, and I told my boss at Forbes that I wanted to write about the oil business and energy and kind of like new startups in the, the clean energy space, he was like, okay. And then probably like a month and a half later, he was like, so like, have you ever thought about like mobile apps? Like, and I think it was kind of inspiring is like he saw me like always on my phone and always like using social networks and stuff like that and thought that they they needed someone to do that at the time. And so I was like, So uh, this was early audience targeting with that suggestion. 
a part of me like thinks it was like, is that kind of demeaning that he was like, hey, girl, stop with the oil reporting. You should maybe cover Facebook. Right. And I don't know. I've been doing it ever since. So I look at it as like maybe that guy knew me better than I knew myself at the time. And that topic has only become like a global issue. I don't just write about like minor updates to the Facebook app, right? Like right. I write about these companies. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. As somebody who reads a lot of what you do, I think we are so much the better for his inspiration. Should he get any credit for it? <laughs> yeah, I should really circle back with him. Oh, so, so you haven't? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you I mean, can send him this clip. <laughs> yeah, I should. I'll be like, thank you for telling me to do this. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into the space. From your perspective, you write on all kinds of things having to do with the big platforms and succeeding, failing, pitch decks, the whole nine yards, having gone through a fair amount of your, your recent stuff. What are the big issues in your mind of the moment? Some of them are super obvious, but some of them probably aren't. Okay, it's a big question. Well, I think one thing that fascinated me yesterday, I was uh, speaking to a class at NYU. So I was speaking to, you know, the, the kids, the youth, these 18-year-olds. And one of them asked me being like, so what do you think about people using social networks less? And I was like, are they? Like, I was like, are you? Right. But I think there is that interesting perception. And obviously we need like more like information to this where I honestly asked him, I was like, are you just talking about you using Facebook less? Like, and you're, but you're still using Instagram, right? Like to me, it's like similar to the shift we're seeing in television, right? It's like maybe people are getting less cable. It doesn't mean they're not watching long form content. It just means they're watching it on Hulu instead yeah. of NBC or something, yep. right? So I, I feel like there's that big shift of like, it's not that people are getting off their phones, but like they're going to another platform. Sure. And from, you know, taking a step back, talking to him too, I was like, okay, like, so interestingly, the platforms we're talking about right now are all owned by Facebook, right? right. And um, so that's like a big issue of like, the changing like feelings about using social networks, this perception that maybe they're bad for you, but you're still spending a lot of time on them, but maybe you're using them differently or maybe you're using different ones. So that's just kind of like the consumer perception. Right. And then another topic we obviously have is regulation. Yep. And the pushback that globally, obviously there's been a lot of talk this week about the UK pretty much rewriting the rules of the internet, to put it simply. I'm not going to distill it too much. You guys can read up on it. But it's just essentially, you know, actually the UK has already made a lot of rules, like GDPR, yep. General Data Protection Regulation, obviously has had a big effect on companies' ability to collect data. And the EU is still pushing for more rules about that, what companies can or can't Not do. that the UK has other pressing matters. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. I yeah, Walking here, someone was like, oh, Brexit, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, like, that's what I overheard. So there's that. And in addition to that, I, there's a, a congressional hearing today about white supremacy online, right? So it's this idea of every like day politicians are starting to talk more about internet platforms and yep. starting to be awakened to, so, you know, consumers just using them for their own personal things, but also the negative, like, misinformation campaigns that happen. And then I would say the third big topic is just the change state of advertising on platforms. So, yep. like, the big battle, the duopoly we've had and talked about for a while between Facebook and Google, that's still alive and well. I feel like you can talk to anyone at Google and they'll be like, so what have you heard of Facebook lately, right? right. So, like, they're, like, head-to-head. And then the news as of late is is Amazon's not not slowly creeping up anymore. Like not they're slowly. there. Yeah. They're there. They are. And then there's obviously other guys trying to eat into that pie. Yeah, Amazon, the single most formidable organization in the world when they decide to do something. 
you know, I've been new-ish to the advertising beat. Not really. I've always kind of right. covered it for the last five years. But when I, like, joined Digiday, everyone was like, ah, oh, Amazon advertising. And I was like, haven't people been advertising on Amazon for a while? Like, I kind of was like, right. as a consumer, you yep. know, that first group I talked about, I was like, haven't there always been ads, like, sponsored posts? But it's just all of a sudden, this the wider industry woke up and was like, oh, we need an Amazon strategy. Yeah. I'm like, what? Haven't people been using Amazon for a, over a decade now? Yeah, I mean, they do. It's funny for an organization so large and so influential, they do have the tendency to kind of sneak up a bit. Yeah. And I think they love it that way. Well, because I guess they don't like tout about themselves, maybe. They do not. They just show up at scale. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. Versus, yeah, Facebook and Google, we know, like Facebook, when every, you know, a million users, they were like, we just added right. another one. And right. you hear about that over and over again, where Amazon doesn't really, they have to publicly disclose things in earnings, but less for the PR. Yeah. I want to get into brand safety out of those three, and I think we'll touch on some of the other ones as well. Obviously, brand safety is a huge concern. You did a piece uh, about a month ago, well, three weeks ago-ish, where you were sort of in search of what happened next to the great Alex Jones InfoWars oh, yeah. Um, yeah. empire. And at the time, you still found it in different contexts, still highly available on YouTube and Facebook. So yeah, I was doing this check-in on InfoWars and Alex Jones, one platform I monitor a lot is Snapchat. And the reason I did this check-in is I started to notice InfoWars posting on Snapchat. And yeah. I've been watching for that because they've long had an account but weren't really yep. active. And so that inspired me to check in on all the other platforms where I came across still a lot of activity on Instagram, a lot of activity on Facebook, and a lot of activity on YouTube. And it's it's just interesting to me because those platforms came out and said, Alex Jones, InfoWars, banned on banned. our platforms. Yep. And then so me doing a casual search on the platforms are like, so what about this, 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 which is clearly all by the same company. I think it was January this year when someone actually tipped me that InfoWars appeared on Roku. And it was yes. interesting because I... Wrote the story, reached out to Roku, and Roku was like, no, we're fine with it. Like, we're taking the stance that we don't decide what's appropriate content. And I'm like, so I just read your terms of service, and they're anti, like, you have specific things against hate speech. And here's all the reasons why InfoWars should be categorized as hate speech. And they ended up reversing their track. And so it's just, just this interesting state of brand safety where platforms have woken up to this idea of like, yes, maybe we shouldn't be spreading this hate speech and misinformation, but they make mistakes all the time. There's a lot of things to observe in that. The first is is how difficult the problem actually is and the scale of, of the issue. And, and a combination of resources required to police, desire to police, yeah. focus to police, and pick your favorite police word, you know, totally. manage, monitor, are significant. And... I still, after all of these bumps in the road and after all of, you know, brands being next to jihadist videos and all these kinds of things we've had in the industry, we're still at a point where I don't know that the major platforms are as focused on this as they need to be, which is both stunning and not stunning given some of their other behavior in in terms of levels of responsibility. So brands already have walked away in one way, shape, or form. And I know, you know, there are brands that we have as clients that are pretty specific about their unwillingness to participate with some of these platforms based on this issue. Yeah. And that's going to 
grow. Uh, another brand safety story I wrote this week was about, what reported last week was about Twitter, because I feel like they, for the last, like, forever long, people just, like, focus on Twitter being this huge site of misinformation and yep. hate and abuse and harassment, and they've gotten slammed for for so long. So I went in being like, oh, I want to check in and make sure, like, it's still a mess. Yep. And then I talked with all of these high-profile, like, marketers, like a lot of, like, heads of brand safety at big agencies, and they're like, actually, and they've better. done a lot of work. Yeah, they have. And I'm like, wow. Like, I feel like it's interesting, because they've, they've gone so much hate in the past and I'm sure it's not perfect. Like it's definitely not perfect, but it is interesting that they've prioritized it and seemingly made a lot of brands happier. I'm going to go on a a bit of a tangent for a second because it's, it's a fascinating topic and it's very newsworthy over the past, say 10 days, two weeks. Comscore. What in the world happened? (laughs) I think my lead was changed in the story, but I was originally going to start it with being that it was like the strangest April Fool's joke, as in like, it so because it yeah, happened yeah. on yep. April 1st. So yep. when I woke up and saw, I saw someone tweeting being like, ha ha, good one, guys, you right. know? And then, yeah, it turns out it was true that the CEO and the president left on the same day, jointly posted their LinkedIn announcements being yes. like, I resigned from Comscore. And they both, I believe, also cited the board issues. That's correct. In there. So they were public, the fact that, which was kind of, obvious, like, why else would you resign? You're clearly not getting along with the board. Yep. And so, yeah, I had talked with a lot of people and, and wrote about that. Having only been there six months, seven months-ish. So I don't cover, like, Comscore that often, but I did have Brian's cell phone because he had called me about when they launched campaign ratings. Yep. So, you know, I obviously have contact with these people. And campaign ratings, I remember talking about it with him, and, and it really seemed like he was pushing on this future of actually understanding cross-platform measurement. You know, yeah. they really had that that store and they wanted to yep. reach it and they were doing these really big deals with people. But it's not easy, as everyone probably listening to this podcast already knows. No. And my understanding is that Brian wanted to invest a lot more money and time into it. He wanted to hire more people. He maybe wanted to do some splashy acquisitions. And the board was like, sounds really expensive. We're not Let's not do that. Yeah. I don't know Brian, but he's strategically right, in my opinion, on on the what. Really, we're still fumbling around for an answer on cross-platform. And now, there, look, there and are it's, it's vendors who like, would be like, that's not true, but yeah. it is true. <laughs> well, what I've heard, too, from reporting that story is, Brian is like one of the most respected, well-liked people in yep. this industry. He is. And so him making that decision to move, like people told me that like, clearly if he's going to possibly negatively impact the employees who currently work at the company, it had to be a really bad situation. So that's like a little like doom and gloom right there. What are some of the bigger implications for brands in some of the things you've reported on over the past couple months? Like are there a few things that sort of stick out to you? You know, if we had the CMO of X big consumer products companies, what would you tell them? And they asked you, they said, Carrie, Good Lord, you've been talking to all kinds of folks in this, in this space. Yeah. What would you tell them? Well, I think the, the easy narrative has been that buying your customer is really expensive these days. I like I even think, you know, just anecdotally with the like the ads I see on Facebook. I'm getting so many like ads right now for this company called Blade, which is like this you buy a helicopter to get from here to JFK, essentially. Okay. Anyway, and I'm like, wow, this company is spending. Do you so go much to money. JFK a lot? I do. So it's really good okay. targeting. All right, it's really good targeting right. for sure. But like I don't need it. It's like bad. And I'm just like, what does this company even mean? I go to their website, it's kind of poor. And I feel like now I'm like putting myself like I'm the modern day consumer, right? Like, sure, you have really like cool Facebook ads, but like, 
I'm not going to do your experience because, like, it doesn't, your website's bad. And, like, right. I don't really trust you because, like, I don't really know who you are. Right. And I feel like, yeah, that's, like, the woke consumer, right? Like, actually going into the the product. And I so I think, like, brands, like, were so good at, like, being like, okay, we'll just, like, buy a lot of, like, Instagram ads. Or, like, for a second, they're like, oh, maybe we'll, like, do some influencer campaigns and just, like, try to, like, buy our customer that way. And I feel like I'm starting to see more in this day and age is, like, can you just make sure you have, like, a good product and your product, like, stands for something rather than just throwing money against the wall? Yeah, I mean, that, there's good advice in that for anybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Life in general. Life. <laughs> <laughs> what do you stand for? Yeah, what do you stand yeah. for? Well, that's a question I ask myself all the time. <laughs> Increasingly so over the past three years. Um, TikTok. I don't know a damn thing about it, but... but I, it, actually, it, is this the other question I should have been like, actually, all CMOs should just put all their money into TikTok <laughs> and they will be saved. <laughs> well, you, you in that answer, you fundamentally understand how CMOs work, yeah. which is, is there not a single solution, a silver bullet, a one-line answer I can fit on this form that says, <laughs> all my problems will be solved by X. A really flashy TikTok, TikTok campaign. there you yeah. go. No, TikTok's been fascinating. I've been covering it a lot because... I felt like my last job at Mashable, and I've covered social for a while, people would always come up to me and be like, oh, what's, like, the hot new app? And I, like, didn't have an answer for a long time. Like, sure, I covered app launches. Like, I feel like I would always say, really, there hasn't been anything that hot since Snapchat. And then, um, obviously, there was Meerkat and Periscope. So there was this live streaming yep. push. And then there was House Party, which I still love, yes. like, even though I don't really use it as much, which is, like, multi-live like live streaming at the same time, like, group video. But TikTok fascinated <laughs> me because I'm like, ah, oh, this is, like, actually, like, something, like, I don't know, like, cool that, like, stands on its own that is, like, unlike anything I feel like I've seen before. Could be this different. feels different. So I watched it. I wrote about it when it became musically folded into TikTok yep. last August, and they're both owned by this company, ByteDance. So I've been watching its rise ever since. It's only been, what, like, less than nine months, um, yeah, nine months-ish. How many? Is uh, 40 million users or ish? I think it was 27 million in 27, the U.S. Okay. So it's not huge. That's not Facebook. But uh, it's really it's really engaged users. Right. Again, just anecdotally talking about myself. Which is I what they think, say when they have a lower user number. Yeah, they're really, they're really was, engaged. It was Snapchat's main thing. You yeah. know, like when they didn't have that many users, they were like, and then they only talked about daily because they were like, well, our users come back every single day right. and spend 50 minutes or whatever. And so TikTok kind of has the same thing. Got it. Me and my boyfriend, I think two nights ago, Watched like over an hour of TikTok in bed, and that's how I that's how I go to bed now. Um, but it's really addicting. But one thing that I think is interesting for brands is um, their challenges. So TikTok has this like thing called challenges where someone, whether they be famous or just me right now, kind of like creates their own like meme, right? Like I do something like one of my favorites is it's literally the song YMCA, and someone goes into their fridge and grabs something, and then to, like, the YMCA beats, they walk to someplace else and, like, throw whatever they pulled out of the fridge at that person. Hundreds of people, probably (laughs) thousands, have, like, reenacted that, right? They've watched videos, and one thing that's cool about TikTok is, like, anyone can do that. Like, anyone can riff off of that and make their own, and it's addicting to see kind of that people do that, and it's very easy for brands to enter into those conversations. Sure thing. You talked about Snap a couple times, and that Snap is one of my questions here, so let's get into this. From a performance perspective, it's been bumpy, from an adding yeah. new users perspective, it's been bumpy. They don't really talk about that anymore, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, scale's overrated. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and yet I go home every day and I go up to my daughter's room and there's only one app in the world for her and that's Snap. Yeah. Have they successfully captured a five-year demographic for whom they're just going to be the thing or like like what is their game? Yeah, age out is like a, the like that term, quote unquote, age out is yep. what I hear a lot um, from people. So I'm like the generation again, anecdotally. I'm the generation where it came out when I was in college, so yep. a lot of people used it. But I'm also that generation where Instagram started to become more popular, and a yep. lot of my friends left. And I noticed that like there are really not that many more, like not that many Snapchat stories on my feed yep. compared to how it used to be. But that's not to say that people aren't using Snapchat. And to your point. Again, anecdotally, I have um, some triplet cousins who are all 16, and they live on that app. They also live on Instagram, but they haven't My completely too, abandoned. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like there is still, they have loyalty. It's just the concern of like, okay, but in a few years, are all those people going to go away? Are you still going to be able to get those 13-year-olds to sign on Snapchat? Or will they think, that's what my... 10-year-old older sister uses or something, or that's what the last generation used. They are doing still, like, cool things, like spectacles, as much as I love them and I wear them, they were definitely a fail. Like, that was a very expensive bet that really didn't take off, and they put a lot of money into building those and marketing them, too. So you haven't really heard about them since. They, like, put a splashy new color on them. So... Uh, but I, I'm inspired by them for trying a lot of things like that. Uh, agreed, like, agreed. But they they have made a lot of missteps. Like, you might have noticed this week, they just announced that their new Android app is, like, up and running finally. So in case you missed it, in case you use an iPhone, Snapchat sucked on Android for yep. years. And they lost a lot of people who were just frustrated, like people around the world who would yes. download Snapchat. And their videos and their photos were so low quality, the app would crash. A lot of, like, big-name creators use Android because they like the phones. So, yes. like, they were losing out on a lot of people. Um, so I just learned, too, you might, like, if you open Twitter and you're on Android, you might see a targeted ad because, again, they're running um, a whole marketing campaign behind it to tell people, like, Snapchat is good on Android again. It's like, what? Like, you guys, like, totally, (laughs) like, you screwed up your Android app? But you're a mobile, like, you're a mobile-first company and you had a bad Android app for three years? Like, that's pretty pathetic, sadly. It's a little rough. A little rough for them. But they're turning it around, right? Like, they had this big event last week. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So I wasn't there, but my colleague Tim was. And obviously, I spoke to a lot of people who were there. And they were really impressed. Like, Mm. my thesis of it was, like, Snapchat's been known to be a really secretive company, right? Like, that whole spectacles thing, even though it was kind of a fail, they kept it, like, secret in their, like, basement for years, you know, that they were building that. And they're still building, like, new R&D. But... The fact that they decided to like put on a show, you know, that Evan Spiegel came out and spoke to his community is a pretty big um, step for them. But there's still just a lot of catching up to do. And one thing that I've been tracking the last few months is the number of publishers that have left and kind of the changing of the guard at Snapchat, (laughs) as as in Snapchat Discover. So I wrote a couple months ago that the New York Times left. And that was a pretty big deal. And I remember talking to Snapchat, and they're like, no, it doesn't matter. And I was like, oh, I think the biggest newspaper in the world leaving your platform kind of matters. At the same time, NBC News has, like, one of the most successful Snapchat channels. They get, I think it's about, it's like 30 million per month. Like, 30 million monthly active users just view their Snapchat channel. That's huge for them. You know, that's like, and it's an audience that they don't get anywhere else. So at the same time, despite all their struggles... 
some people are having success. It's just like, what happens when like maybe NBC decides to move that show to Instagram or yeah, to TikTok? It, I don't know. But. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I, again, I, I think if I were to summarize, and I'm just trying to see it through the eyes of somebody I know who uses it, who's 15. If I think about Char, I think what she'd say is IG for her is broadcast and Snap is like, her friends. Yeah. To speak of missteps too, I think one thing Snap kind of was bad is they like tried to make it a, I remember they pushed it on journalists like during the election. They're like, every journalist should download it and use it as like a tool for reporting. I was like, wait, that's not what Snapchat is. Like, you know, like they kind of wanted it both ways. But for me personally, like I was always that way. I was like, no, this is like where I like tell people my deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and they were so anti that narrative, but. Yeah. Sometimes (laughs) when you're trying to run away from what you don't want. Um, <laughs> let's change gears again. Agency holding companies. Ooh, everybody's favorite topic. Yeah. All right. You know, obviously, since Martin left WPP, and you know, there's been uh, certainly we've had a change at Densuegis. There's a lot of change across the board. There's you know, you can't open a news app without finding some kind of complaint about the state of the industry. Mm-hmm. In talking to agency folks, in talking to people in the publisher space, talking to platforms. What's your perspective on this moment for holding company environments? It seems really gloomy like other things, right? Like there's a lot of consolidation. That's nothing new. I'm not saying anything that provocative here um, that we're seeing a lot of consolidation. That sounded like a caveat. Are you you trying, are you protecting yourself? (laughs) No, I'm just saying it's, it's an interesting time. I, uh, I mean, just narrowing it on WPP, I uh, had the chance to go to Wonderman in when I was in London last year and went to their HQ and um, chatted with a lot of people who work there and they seemed like really happy like weirdly and I think Wonderman I spoke I wrote a story specifically on Wonderman Commerce who to our point earlier kind of like cozied up into Amazon and like crushed it right so like there there are a lot of success stories I see in agencies and sure there's a lot of turbulence over at WPP there's the whole like whatever I don't know what's happening with Kantar it's very confusing but (laughs) like trying to sell it for the absolute (laughs) largest price tag in the history of mankind (laughs) and still gain access to use the data anyway yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I, I it's like the rumor mill of like when I was writing about Comscore, Group M has a big investment in Comscore, and people were like, are they trying to like change their whole analytics thing when they yep. have Cantar and Comscore and hands in other places? Because these companies are so big, yep. trying to consolidate themselves in addition to make acquisitions. I think the biggest thing that probably happened recently is the Accenture Droga Five thing. I think the flashy headline was like death of the creative agencies, and I'm like, I mean. They're not dead, right? Like the idea is that they still we still need creative, but the fact that Accenture wants to see wants to paint the picture of themselves being more of having that toolbox, sure. right? Like at um, South by this year, I went to Accenture Interactive's whole pop up, and they had all of these things. They're like, look at our work with Disney, right? Like Disney, one yep. of the most flashy like creative companies. Like Accenture is the one that worked with them on some of their new stuff for Marvel and for Dumbo. I was like, wow, you got your hands in all the big movies. So now that they're like, and now we have Droga Five, right? right? Like I feel like that's interesting. Where it's like we've we've talked a while for like consultancies eating agencies lunch, but now it's just like. I don't even know what these words mean anymore, right? Like now, Accenture nothing is yeah. Accenture is like no longer <laughs> consultancy, right? Like no, they're they're this just in they're an agency, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, with, they're an agency with better margins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I, I was gonna ask. So you about, agencies are dead. Well, I guess the uh, and the other narrative too. <laughs> so agencies are dead. So Accenture is now an agency. Agencies are dead. Or agencies are dead. Accenture is now an agency. They're just treated, yeah. Yes, but I do talk because you know, like I cover the platforms a lot, and so I do talk to agency people all the time who get really angry because the people who work inside the platforms steal their jobs, right? Like, there's there's one narrative of, like, buyers and creative people being really mad because, like, Facebook support sucks. Yep. And then there's the other narrative that Facebook support people try to steal the clients of agencies by hand-holding them. Yes. At the same time, these platforms, like Facebook and YouTube especially, try to get these big deals with the big agencies. So there's, like, all this, like, tension. It's like, what do you guys really want? Both ways. Yeah, th- no, the answer <laughs> is both ways, right? So it seems to me that if Facebook decided tomorrow that they wanted to run a consulting business or a services business, they would be the single largest competitor to agencies in the world. Yep. Same is true of you know Google, right? And, and and not to say they don't already have people occupying that space, they do, but yeah, they're the not Instagram creative shop. But they're the not whole. set up as a real right. They're mostly added value and they're wrapped into the product and they're not for sure. the most part seeking additional revenue because. You're only in the agency business when you ask somebody to pay the bill, <laughs> yeah. right? If you're not doing that, you're just in the let me give you free ideas business. Which, totally, yeah, because you want out, them to spend more exactly. on your platform. As yes. it turns out, it's different than the agency business. <laughs> but I think they shy away from it because the margins are obviously hideously lower than what they do off their platform business. So yeah. I think it'll be interesting. You know, it, it, At some point, I think someone will make that decision or someone will do a JV, or someone will do something different, or someone will acquire something and proclaim that this is the XYZ platforms consulting and creative services business. Yeah. If the holding companies really run into trouble, right? if we really run into you know, the, the iceberg and we are selling piece parts, uh, I think then is when you will see some of these things transact because they can kind of cherry pick what they want. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the problem with, you know, the, you heard a bunch of stuff when Martin left around WPP and who's going to buy them and will they get bought and will Accenture buy them or will EY or, you know, who else? I used to work at WPP. I have all of my dear friends in the industry are still there and caveat, caveat, caveat. (laughs) There is no way on earth that the current proposition there is a viable proposition in any way, really shape or form for another significant entity. I mean, I've been to their new offices. They're down the street from me and there's like a lot going on in that <laughs> office. Like, And that's just one New York yeah. office. There are <laughs> so many brands and so many disciplines. So, yeah. I mean, it is truly Byzantine in its level of complexity. Totally. All right, you have you have done a really good job. I've got two more questions for you, then we're going to get into the lightning round. Oh, amazing. Which in theory is quicker answers, but never winds up being quicker <laughs> answers. So. so I have to say my caveats. Right, right, <laughs> right. When you get through the list of the caveats, let's write the end of your headline for 2019 right now. Oh, wow. Wait, so yeah, the year overall. It was the year of X. The regulation stuff is, is I guess, probably the most interesting just because so much is happening in the UK right now that I'd be curious if something happened in the U.S. sooner rather than later, but I feel like that's a 2020 story. I feel like nothing's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. I don't think there is any. I mean, no legislation of any kind is going to get passed. So I'm just going to be like 2019, the year we all talked about yes. things like data privacy and yeah. I don't know the end of agencies. And we talk about all the same things, but really nothing changed again. Yeah, and, and it probably won't be till 2021. Yeah. Depends I, on who wins the election. But I think what you will see starting the beginning, you've already seen it now with, with Elizabeth Warren's sort of let's break them up and all. I think, you know, the next 24 months will be 
a successive wave in both parties of demonization of the platforms. Yeah. Because it's good politics. I mean, yeah, the whole, I didn't watch much of like the white supremacy talks today, but it seemed kind of heated and it's a both sides issue. Like you said, well, like, I can tell you there's a, there's a legitimate Twitter, Twitter worthy no, uh, moment that Ted Lieu, who's a congressman yeah. from California, who's really outspoken on Twitter had a, had a moment with Candace Owens that you should look at. Oh, on. It's, amazing. It's I, I follow Candace on Twitter. I follow like, <laughs> yeah, I like, you should see my feed. It's you follow fun. some weird stuff just because. Yeah, it's, I got to see the other side. No, I get you. I got to get their perspective. Carrie, are you saying there are two sides? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into, um, let's get into the lightning round. Favorite digital experience of any, it could be anything. Oh, that's like really hard. Do you have a favorite app? I, okay, actually, this is a really easy answer. One of my favorite <laughs> digital experiences is the puppy filter on Snapchat. I will happily say that because it is like, has been like a meme. It's like, supposedly it's Evan Spiegel, the CEO's like favorite filter. I remember the first time I used it, I was like, this is so ridiculous and fun and I love puppies. And the fact that it's been a part of Snapchat, like still, like I can use it right now. It's so much fun. And then they added it where you can use it with a friend. So then you're both puppies. Double puppy. My favorite. Never get rid of it, Snapchat, please. Best piece of content recently consumed could be anything. Pod, book, binge watching, anything. Ooh, I just been shrill on Hulu, which is the like it's a take on Lindy West's like biography. Speaking of like hate on Twitter, she's someone who's like really outspoken about the harassment she faced as a writer. It's a really well done. I think it was only like six episodes. I don't know. It was probably the fastest show I've binged in a really long time. Yep. It was really delightful. It's like shows like body positivity in like the right way. Like the narrative's not all about that. It's just like a woman who's like a little heavier set, just like living her life and being awesome. I love that. It was really nice to watch in 2019. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Best career advice you've either given or received? This is like the opposite now. I'm saying like the worst career advice, like don't necessarily trust your gut because like part of me like was like, I listened to the advice of someone else. Like when I said my like Forbes like editor who was like, you should do this. And I was like, okay. So maybe like one, like maybe listen to your elders sometimes. Like, not, like, fully. Like, if they say something bad, don't trust them. But, like, <laughs> there's something of, like, you can or you can make a plan for yourself. Like, for instance, like, for me, like, I knew I wanted to be a reporter. I, I, think, I thought I wanted to be a city reporter, and then I thought I wanted to be, a like, an environmental reporter. And then I fell into advertising reporting, and, like, I don't know. I, I don't mind it. I like it. So part, Be like, open. Be open, yeah. Like, Trust yourself, but also know that you don't know everything. And like, there could be an opportunity that you're closing yourself off to because maybe you think you're better than that. And then it turns out it's actually awesome. Thing people should know about you, but they don't, other than the puppy filter. I don't use, one thing to know about me is I don't use screen time. Because, like, screen time is, like, the thing on your iPhone where it tells you how much you use every app. Like, I purposefully have not turned that on because I feel like I don't need it because I don't need people telling me to, like, turn my phone off and put my phone away. I know, like, I'm going on vacation soon and people are like, oh, my gosh, like, put your phone away. I was like, no, I like being online. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's my harsh opinion. Uh, I love it. I love it. Are you going to... Start your own business and go around to high schools and promote this as your, <laughs> write a book, promote this as your point of view. This yeah. is like your inspirational talk yeah. for, uh, you know, the 11th grade. Totally. Love your phone, yes. by God. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't apologize. Don't, to, don't apologize is the right way to put it. Don't like, talk to your parents. Yeah, exactly. Um, the internet's great. It's so positive. <laughs> I love all the harassment. Everyone loves you. <laughs> yeah. Being a reporter in this moment 
it seems to me a rather challenging thing. Now you're not in the beating heart of that covering the White yeah. House or politics, but surely you have a view on this particular moment in time for the press. I feel like I used to get really like actually sad about that early on in the after the election with all the negativity around the press and just like I don't care anymore because you can say it a hundred times. I'm like, cool, I heard you the first time. So I love journalism. So it was more shocking in the beginning now at this point. It's just like, yeah, I've heard that. It's like, yep. Yeah, I get it. Your dictator like mindset. The press is bad because speaking the truth is bad if you don't want people to know what the truth is. At the end of all of it. That is what this is about. Yeah, and that's why I'm inspired to do, like, journalism. I've I've always, I like, you said in the beginning you love hearing people's stories. I love telling people's stories. That's what my job is. So even with that that calm score, like, debate, you know, like, there are the the trauma that happened. Like, there are real people behind that story, you know? Like, and it's important to have that perspective. That is a fantastic way to end. Carrie Flynn, you've been absolutely magnificent, as I knew you would be. I try. Thank you for having me. You want to do puppies? <laughs> it would be a first. Um, you got to come back, and we got to drag Mike along. And yeah. I, maybe we get Mike fired by doing that, but we'll see I'm, how it goes. I'm in. You're in? Yep. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. everybody, for listening. You've survived another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. And if you feel so moved, give us a review or pause, wait for it, subscribe. We'll be back out to you really soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>